listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. No distraction, don't we? I think, what is this, four weeks in this series? That alarm at the beginning of that bumper still, does it make you cringe? <laughs> it's like the worst sound in the world, or is it, really, isn't it? Um, we're talking about being fully present. The power um, of presence. The power um, for us to be present with one another and how much, I think in so many ways, how much more difficult it is for us today in our world today to be present in this, in this way. Um, last week, um, our friend Michael gave a really raw, honest um, testimony of his brokenness in life. And if we're honest, I think that, um, I think that a lot of, a lot of the things that distract us from being fully present are really about not wanting to address head on some of the brokenness in our life. It's one of the ways we medicate is through distraction of any kind. Um, and so my hope for you today, I, I, you know, I realize like for some of us, like last week was, was so, it was a little too raw almost for some of us, um, but I hope that you see in his story um, that your brokenness doesn't define you. That your brokenness doesn't define you. Um, that there's a difference between a wound and a scar. We all get wounded in life. We all go through difficulty. Some of us, you know, a lot more than others. And those wounds can be our own doing those wounds can be someone else's doing. Those wounds could come just because we live in a broken world and it's the reality of the world that we live in. And sometimes those wounds are actually the hardest. You know, the hurt that we can't blame anybody else for and that we can't blame ourselves for because what happens is we tend to blame God sometimes for those. Um, but today what I wanna do is invite you to not let your wounds or your brokenness define you, first of all, uh, but also to invite you to experience the healing that I think Christ wants to offer us. Uh, but I think it's really important right up front to say that as we talk about wounds and, and healing, it's important to realize that there's still scars. And that, you know, I still have a scar right here on my finger. can barely see it. Um, but I was about 10 years old, and I, got a, I think I got a pocket knife for a birthday, and I was doing 10-year-old boy things with a, with a pocket knife without my parents' supervision. <laughs> and so I, I got a pretty good gash on my, on my finger. Um, thankfully, it wasn't a really, really deep wound, um, but that wound healed over time, but there's still, uh, there's still a reminder, Right? And, uh, and it's not as raw as it once was. 
Um, but, but what I'd encourage you to think about is the, the fact that God uses our, our most wounded, broken pieces sometimes are the greatest testimonies. Um, and it's not about comparing your wounds to someone else's or brokenness and you know, they have a greater test. No, it's just where God has met you and where he has brought healing and hope. Um, and fully, being fully present with each other. You know, I've, I've gotten lots of messages through the series that is so timely because of our desire to really be in rich relationship with family and friends and, and how that's so much more challenging with all the distractions and what do I quit doing and, and what, do, what do I need to do differently? And here, here, I think at the heart of all of this struggle I wanna really just ask you to consider this truth that unless you confront your need for Christ to be fully present in you, unless you open your heart and address the brokenness and the wounds and invite him to heal you, what I'm saying is until you're fully present with the spirit in the way that the spirit wants to be fully present in you, it's gonna be really difficult to be fully present with other people in a life-giving way. And so this is what we're after, ultimately. We're, we're not just after you know, the surface level. This is not self-help. <laughs> this is not, you know, try these 10 things and then you'll improve your relation. This is, the heart of the matter is inviting the Spirit of God to be fully alive in us in the way that he promised that Jesus promised the disciples that the Spirit would come, the Advocate would come, that he would transform us, that he would do this deep and lasting work. And even though we live still in a broken world, that wholeness is not, that righteousness is not about avoiding anything difficult in our lives. So often we think of it that way. But if we're truly Christ-like, let me ask you, did he face trouble? Did he face challenges? Did he face brokenness? Did he face evil and betrayal and hurt? He faced all of those things, even greater than most of us. And yet he, he faced those things so that he could relate to us in our brokenness and so that he could bring about a lasting transformation. And so we first of all have to realize, we have to understand so many people can't can't get this part, can't embrace this part, and it will stunt everything else in your spiritual journey if you don't embrace the love of God. That God loves you, that he calls you his child, that no matter what your brokenness is, whether it's somebody else or whether it's your own fault, the brokenness in your life does not define you, he defines you as his child. And through his love, he wants to bring you fullness and freedom, and hope, and healing. There might still be scars, but God meets us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our suffering, in our pain, in our loss, in all of the stuff that's in the middle that we don't even know if it's a blessing or a curse. He meets us in everything, and he fills us with his spirit, and he invites us. Listen, this is why brokenness is so powerful, because when we confront our brokenness and our fragility and our mortality, it forces us to turn to one who is stronger. And so when we face those things, the only thing we can do is cry out to God because we can't fix it. 
We can't do it on our own and we need his spirit to do it for us. And that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter three, uh, most of the time today we're gonna be journeying through just a few verses in Ephesians chapter three. If you have your Bibles or your phones, I would encourage you to take them out and follow along with me. I'm gonna start in verse 16 where Paul says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen. So Christ has immeasurable riches. He is powerful that he has resource, right? He may strengthen you with power, that he might transfer that power to you through his spirit in your inner being. So Christ overcame all of that brokenness and he wants to transfer power to you that you might not avoid brokenness but overcome the brokenness, the hurt, the pain that you face. Paul's praying this for the people in Ephesus, that they would be full of the Spirit, that he would fortify them with his power. But, but notice where, is, where the strength comes from. Again, it's not from the outside, but it's from the inside. It's what's under the surface. It's not what we see always, but it's the inner being. He says in your inner being, that he would, the Spirit would strengthen you uh, through, power, through his power, in your inner being. Now, the, the word inner being, or, or it really is reference, it refers to uh, what the Hebrews understood as the heart, which is more, it's more, it's more than what we often attribute to the heart. Paul's using this term, and, and what he means is that this is the center of your personality, your thoughts, your will, your emotions, it's the core of your being. Like, how do you define who you are? You don't define who you are. We, we try to, a lot of times, define who we are by external things. You know, it's what you do. It's the relationships you have. It's your work. It's, it's what you've accomplished. Those things that give us a sense of worth or meaning or, or make us feel a part of something. But really, our true self is something much deeper. And so what God wants to do is he wants to start at the deep work, the core of our being. And he wants to heal us there so that everything that comes out of us might come out of this place of wholeness in him and trust in him. It goes back to what Paul has said before, that he would change us, uh, that God would change us through his spirit, that we might become a new creation. He says this in, 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 first, in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Can anybody say yes? We want that. Now, I gotta admit, sometimes when I read this verse, I got really jazzed about that possibility and then really discouraged when it didn't always come about. <laughs> like, you pray and you ask God to heal you, you ask God to transform you, and it's like, God, you promised. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, when you read that, what do you think? For me, a lot of times in my life, when I've read that, I've said, okay, God, so if I'm in you, if I invite your spirit to transform me, to live in me, if you save me from this thing, then I'm not gonna have to deal with that anymore. You know, that temptation, that thought pattern, those things of the flesh. You know, th there's this battle within us all the time between the things of this world, the fleshly things, and the things of the spirit. We know what that war, we want to do the right thing, and yet we don't, right? Anybody, I mean, anybody ever died, made a commitment to diet? Can we just like cut it down? Like, can you relate? 
right? Amen? You say, I wanna do this, and it's so hard. It's so hard to follow through because as soon as you say, I'm gonna cut out sweets, there's your favorite candy right there. You know, and, and so when we say, when Paul says this, what does it mean? It can create this kind of uh, a frustration and almost make us apathetic, like we're, we're never gonna make it. Is this real? You know, I thought about this old game I remember as a kid in the arcade. We'd go to the arcade. Remember Whack-A-Mole? Remember that game? Anybody remember that? Are you with me? Like, like you, you know, these things, these moles, like, just pop up. If you've never heard this, you're like, what in the world? But you're like, whack, whack. I mean, you have this, this thing, and you keep, and they get faster and faster, and, and eventually you can't keep up unless you get a friend to come help you, right? That, that was the trick. Is you, two of you, you might be able to keep up. But, like, does anybody ever feel like that's life? Is it just me? Or does life feel like whack-a-mole a lot of times? You got these things popping up all the time. These pro- and as soon as you like cleared them out, like you knocked them all out, and there's just another one over there, another one over there, another one over there. Well, I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but it would help to have a friend with you. Amen? And it would help if your friend was the creator of the universe, right? Um, I hadn't fully worked out that, that illustration because it just came to me this morning. I thought of whack-a-mole as I was preaching and I left out that last part and a friend, a friend, Paul Babb, who plays in the band, he was like, you know, Pastor Ray, I used to get a friend to help me cheat in that game and I don't know if Jesus cheats, but I know it sure would help if Jesus would come alongside of us sometimes, right? But it's true that life, it, it can seem like this this, this is not reality, that therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But I think what Paul is talking about, again, is not the outward, but it's the inward. That when the spirit begins to dwell in us and when everything begins to flow out of us, there is a new way of life that is already here and possible. It is possible, friends, for you to live in the fullness of the spirit, but it is not yet come, the day has not yet come that that's the reality every day, every moment, all the time. And when Jesus comes back one day, it will be true. And so we live in this tension of the already, but the not yet. That's why we have wounds, and he says he'll heal them, but there are still scars. Because it's not fully come to pass his hope. And, and so the question is, what will we live into? What will we live into and, and how honest will we be and how vulnerable will we be to allow him do, to do the inner work? Because we're really better at, at masking things and making things look good on the outside than we are doing the harder work, the inner work. Pete Scazzaro is an author and a pastor. He wrote a, a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship because he said for a longest time as a Christian and as a Christian leader, what he struggled with is, is that he could do all of the things on the outside and it could look like everything was going great in ministry or in life and family and all these things, but he realized that he was leading from a depleted place emotionally, that he was emotionally unhealthy. And because he was emotionally unhealthy, what he was creating was just more dysfunction, ultimately. That it wasn't, that it wasn't creating more health. You see, when we focus on only on the external what we're doing is, it's kind of like that old image, you've probably seen this, of the iceberg, 
right? And there's the iceberg, and, and what do we see? What do we see? We, use, we don't normally see what's under the surface. All we see is what's above the surface, and, and what's above the surface can, can seem very small and insignificant, but when we realize even what's under the surface, what's under the surface is so much greater and in our lives, it's, it's the same way. So, sometimes things come out all backwards and, 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 and sideways. And we say something out of anger, frustration, guilt, whatever the emotion is, we say something that, that ultimately doesn't reflect who we are in Christ as a new creation. And we say it, and sometimes we say it to someone we love and we're like, where did that come from? That's not even true. That's not even how I feel. And yet we say things that create wounds and harm others. You see, because when we, when we don't deal with the, the fear of rejection, sometimes this is just one example of how it comes out. But when we go through life and we're worried about being rejected, sometimes it comes out sideways as anger. Now, that doesn't make any logical sense, does it? Like if, you're, if you have a fear of being rejected, why would you get angry? Well, you're getting angry because you're trying to control the circumstances and control the situation because you, don't, because you have this fear of rejection or this fear of a loss of control. Now, we have to know ourselves because, because that's not gonna be the case. That's not gonna be our default for all of us. But the point is, you can work on your anger but if you never address this fear of rejection, you're never gonna conquer your anger because you're not really aware of where it's coming from. You can't deal with the root of the problem. And that's what Paul's talking about when he prays this prayer. He goes on in verse 17 to say, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would abide in him, that you would be full of his spirit, that he would transform you from the inside out that he would strengthen you in your inner being. Why? So that you can dwell in your heart, dwell so that Christ can dwell, so that you can be fully present and he can be fully present in you and Christ can dwell in you because the only way that you'll become a new creation is if it's the spirit living in you. And so this is a daily, a daily death to self and a daily invitation for the spirit of God, listen, to do heart surgery on us. And today, that's my simple invitation. I wanna invite you, will you be honest and vulnerable enough to say, Lord, do some heart surgery on me. Help me to see what's under the surface that I don't wanna see. Help me to see the emotions that are, that are driving or, or this, un, uh, this, un, this, this, this thing that's not been confronted, this fear how much of the unhealthy behavior is rooted in a fear of something? And it's different for each of us. But we have wounds that cause us fear, and those fears manifest in different behaviors that are unhealthy. And, and this has vast implications for our lives, and I think that if we'll address these things, the Spirit will do something powerful. So this starts with declaring who we belong to. If you're gonna allow Christ to do that heart surgery, it starts by saying, I belong to Jesus. You say that right now, right now in your hearts, where you are, I belong to Jesus and Jesus lives in me. I'm no longer defined by all these 
outward things, but I'm, or, or, or these accomplishments or these ways that we try to define ourselves and give ourselves significance, but I belong to Christ. And whatever he says about me is what really matters and what I'll live into. He goes on in verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love, listen, he's not talking about just an intellectual agreement. To really know the love of Christ, to experience it that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, it's God's love that grounds us. It's God's love when he speaks blessing, you are my child, you are my daughter. It's the love of God that pursues us. It's the love of God that saves us. It's the love of God that awakens us to his fullness, that redefines life and our identity for us. To be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. This means that we become who we were really made to be. This means that we experience the effects of God's spirit dwelling in us. It means that we grow up into spiritual maturity because his spirit grows us up, not because of all of the things that we think we need to do so that we can grow, but because his spirit is growing us. Because we're fully present with God and allowing him to work in our hearts to heal our wounds. Now part of walking this journey, a big part of it, is addressing and confronting those, those fears and those pains. And instead of numbing them or avoiding them or, or using something to cope with them, we address the reality that we're all afraid of loss. We are. One of the best ways to address this fear of loss is just to acknowledge that loss is part of the human condition, that you cannot avoid it. You cannot avoid loss. How many of you lost your keys this week? Anybody? They're much more deeper, difficult things that we lose, but we lose all kinds of things. It's part of being human. Uh, can anybody say we lose our youthfulness? Are you living under the delusion that that won't happen? You can mask that all you want, but it's gonna happen. We lose our dreams. We lose our routines or our stability or the things that give us security. We lose something and we're afraid. And we put up walls around our hearts. Especially when we lose a loved one. When we lose a marriage because of betrayal. When we lose friendships or money. Or when we lose trust. Maybe even trust in the church. Some of you have been through difficult situations where it felt like the people that were there to shepherd were there to take advantage. And that can cause you to lose trust in God. And I think we just need to acknowledge that loss 
for all of us. You see, I used to believe people didn't like change, but I came to realize people don't like loss. And every time there's change, the older you get, the, lo- the more that you see change, the more you realize with change comes some element of loss, and you begin to put up a resistance to any change. Because if you can control things, keep them the same, then you're not as, then you're controlling the loss. It's like you're mitigating the risk. But ultimately, we have to address this reality that, that there will be loss as a part of life, but it doesn't have to result in us pulling back or guarding our hearts or not risking a little bit because relationships, healthy relationships, always require some risk. And so as we respond today, we're gonna come to the table and we're gonna respond by uh, participating in communion because there is no better way for us to remember God's love for us, his faithfulness to us, to bring our brokenness to the table, to repent of sin and our own brokenness and our own contributions to the brokenness around us and to lay it at his feet and to trust him and to know that life's gonna bring fear. Life's gonna bring loss. But we serve a God who is greater. We serve a God who reminds us that his presence is with us. And so as we prepare our hearts, I want you to think about these things. And as the spirit moves you, I don't want you to just go through the motions and you know, take a wafer and dip it in the cup and take the elements and go back and then we go about our lives. I want you to be open to the heart surgery that God wants you to do, and I want you to linger. I want you to invite you to stay in his presence and to be really uh, like intentional about allowing him to address the things that he wants to address in you. We have a prayer wall over here. You can, you can write a prayer, or maybe there's a deep brokenness you're afraid to even write down. Maybe the, the first step for you is to take the blank page that you know what it represents. The blank piece of paper goes in the wall just because that's a first step of you addressing your fear or your brokenness or your hurt or your wounds and allowing God to turn them into, yes, a scar in your life, but a scar that's a testimony that reminds people. This is a testimony of the goodness of God when we come to the table. The goodness of God that he laid his life down for us. He said every time you do it, do it in remembrance of, of me. Not just an intellectual remembrance, but a remembrance of his goodness his faithfulness, and his love. So how do you do this? What do we need to do to be more fully present and allow the Spirit to transform us? First, you have to pay attention to your emotions. You have to pay attention to your emotions. You can't ignore them. You can't gloss over your feelings. So as you come to the table today, if the Lord moves you to weep, weep. If the Lord moves you to level with him, that you need to pray an angry prayer? Like, God, why? Take that to God, not to your neighbor. Take it to God, he's big enough. He knows your hurts and your pains. Or if you're unwilling to, for whatever reason, address something in your life that you know needs to be addressed that is not of him, this is the place to leave it. Pay attention to those emotions and then wait on God. Listen, when we come to the table, I'm inviting you to this. I'm not promising God's gonna like show up and like move, like everything radically changed. It could happen, God does that. But let's be honest, most of the time, 
It's a slow process of transformation. It might be days, it might be weeks, it might be months, it might be years, but if you stay close to the Father, if you say, I am his and I will walk with him and I will keep crying out to him with prayers for peace, for wholeness, for healing, to restore a relationship, if you will do that, waiting on God is, is, is the biblical human response to the world that we live in, a world where everything is not fixed. What's under the surface, takes, it takes time to fix sometimes. And God moves in his own time. It's the psalmist cried out, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Waiting is not the absence of any, it's not apathy. Waiting is not a lack of activity. Waiting is a, a, an anticipation. Waiting is, is patience and humility and saying, God, move, God, move, and being alert to the move of the Spirit when he does. And so we, we get honest about our emotions, we wait on God, and then you have to embrace your limits, friends. There may be things that, that are part of the reality of our lives that limit us. <laughs> there are certain things about my personality or, uh, you know, there are certain things about me that are not gonna change. And there are certain things about me that God wants to change. And there are certain things that, that, may, that you may always carry a limp. And that limp might be part of your testimony. But embracing your limits means that your, your physical body, it might be your, your family of origin, it might be your marital status, your talents, your gifts, your resources, it might be your work, your relationship, there might be dynamics that you can't control and you embrace the reality of what is not what you want it to be and ask God to give you the grace to endure and to not be fixated on the things that you can't change but to control the things you can. And then you invite the spirit of love to come over you. Not to manage everything but to give it to Christ. The journey of healing is that journey. It begins with that, that declaration that you are his and he is yours. And so as we come to this table, we come knowing that he meets us here, that he sustains us, that he reminds us of his grace and his love, and he is present in a powerful way at this meal. We remember that Jesus broke the bread with his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. He took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you and for many. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds with your presence. I pray that as we come to this table, that we might be more honest with you. that we might be more open to hearing your voice, that you might grant us wisdom to discern between your voice and the voices that this world 
speaks over us. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to confess our need for you. Lord, we have, we have messed up so many times. We have brokenness that is our fault. There are things that we've done. There are things that we've left undone. Yet by your grace, you call us to this place of repentance. I invite you right where you are, friends, just to confess your sin before God. Confess your need for him. And so God, we pray now that you would fill us with your spirit. The spirit of forgiveness would rest upon us. The healing of Jesus would come over us. That you would make us again one with you. Lord, we lift up those relationships that have been broken and fractured. Because of our own brokenness or someone else's. Lord, that you would make us one with you, but that you would, that that work of transformation would make us one with each other as well. To grant forgiveness. Lord, we pray. Pray for wholeness between us. And God, we pray that you'd make us one of one mind for your mission in the world, that the scars that we bear would bring glory to you and testify of your healing power, that in our weakness you are strong. And so, Lord, help us as one body, as one church, to proclaim that mystery of our faith, that God, you are with us, you are among us, you are in us. You have transformed us. And so God, fill us now with your presence as we remember your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.